the new year, 2021, will begin in a few days. And that won't mean much <laughs> in terms of what's going on in the times in which, in which we live. If you were happy in 2020 with the Lord, focused on Him, regardless of your circumstances, living your life a day at a time, then you will love 2021. And uh, don't worry if you didn't enjoy 2020 because you didn't do those things. 2021 isn't a loss. It's not a wash. It's a second chance. Another opportunity to get it right. Well, welcome. This is uh, Preston City Bible Church. And uh, you're kind of welcoming me in with this feed uh, to, to live stream with you today. I'm sorry, again, that I can't be with you in person. But I do thank you, Mike, for uh, working the announcements and praying with us. Thank you for um, the DiCaprios with their wonderful music. And I was able to watch uh, some of it. And I'll definitely catch it. I always really treasure uh, the awesome work y'all do in, uh, in worshiping in song and leading the church and uh, demonstrating and, uh, and just proclaiming Christ and how you use your talent. And that's a God-given, and uh, he gave it to you, and you cultivated it uh, by his grace and you sharing with us. So he gave it to us, and we're so grateful. So uh, as we approach the word today, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, in the time in which we live, we have people uh, who have had COVID-19 and are no longer dealing with it. They have recovered from it and not in the way that has crippling consequences over a long period of time. Some people do have really bad effects, but others don't. And I want to remind you what uh, we read of David when he talks about how he thinks of God in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far has he separated our sins from us. Well, uh, our transgressions from us. As a father pities or loves his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are merely dust. Psalm 103 is a great passage to answer the three great questions that will solve any problem that you're in by reorienting you from what you're dealing with to God whom you're dealing with. And that is, who is God? Who am I according to what he said? And what has he said he's going to do with me? Who is God? Who am I? And what's going to happen to me based on who he is? What is God going to do with me? And that is, if you'll think that through, a way to get back into the whole realm of theology and scriptural truth that you have grown in learning in as much as you've spent time in the word that, that, that you know, you're not always studying, you're not always reading the Bible, but you are always in need of the perspective that the word gives you. And these three questions, I think, will constantly bring you back to these to this truth of God who is so great and loving and um, and you who are so privileged and blessed to be related to him through the Lord Jesus Christ well as I always say we've assembled to fellowship with God and his word I always give you a moment for silent prayer and uh, that is because of the provision God gives us by his grace 
in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think that it is tragic that many, perhaps most Christians, do not know what to do about their personal sins. Some dither and think that if they if they offend themselves enough with something horrible in their in their choices, some sin that's really offensive to them, then that questions whether they have Christ. And the answer is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your sin doesn't separate you from Christ, but it forfeits your enjoyment in the moment of your relationship with him. It's called having fellowship or abiding in Christ. You break fellowship through personal sin, and God cleans you up when you confess your sins and removes that thing that's between you and your father in terms of the temporal, personal relationship. That's what we were talking about. We're talking about fellowship. Christians, what you do about your sin is you name them to God, and he cleans you up. And you take it as promised. He forgives you and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You're clean. And you need to go forward in fellowship with God as you do what Colossians 3 says, being saturated or uh, letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That is the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit where he characterizes you with the word. You can't be filled with the Spirit while you're dirty, but being clean doesn't mean you're filled. Filled is the word of Christ richly dwelling within you. So I always give you a moment for silent prayer so that we can enjoy this work of God, cleaning us up and filling us with his good truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we assemble today rejoicing that we can be together after a fashion. We thank you for the technology and the enablement to do this. Thank you for the wonderful talent we just enjoyed in uh, celebrating your son in song. We thank you for just the, the awesome joy of being together across the miles and uh, on a regular basis. We're, we don't take it for granted, Father, that we live in a free country where we can proclaim your truth unvarnished and and straightforward and honest and we ask for the privilege and the strength to continue this regardless of the national political economic and social circumstances that we're facing we do pray for our nation father and for recovery to sanity and the fear of the lord father in, in the darkness that you've placed us in give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage to shine the light of your truth and the love of your son let our gentleness be made known to all men father we ask that you strengthen us fill us let your spirit fill us with your precious word as we consider who were the Philippians today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you for your patience, your indulgence, your care for me and for my family as we continue to um, take care of uh, my mother-in-law and uh, sojourn here uh, just for a short time. And um, I uh, look forward to being together face-to-face -face with you, not with the family yet, but face-to-face -face with you uh, very soon. Um, on the outset, before um, we get started in the text today, I want to invite you to join us Wednesday night at 7, well, 6 o'clock for prayer. Uh, we always meet for prayer at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays, and then <clears throat> at 7 o'clock for a study of the Word where we're going to look more into the biblical doctrine of prayer in the New Testament, and, um, and it's a little series we're calling Thy Will Be Done. We'd love for you to join us uh, in person, especially, or online, if you must, <laughs> and uh, and we'll we'll work through some more of what the Lord Jesus taught about prayer and the um, what we call the high priestly prayer 
of uh, John chapter 17. Thursday night is a special. We have Christmas, or sorry, New Year's Eve, Thursday night. We'd love for you to join us for, again, 7 o'clock. We will uh, study the word. We will contemplate uh, the coming year, and we will uh, ring in the new year with the Lord's table. That is not a 7 o'clock until midnight service. That is a 7 o'clock until 8-ish service with communion at the conclusion in anticipation of the new year focused, concentrating, dedicating our attention and all of our hopes on the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, join us uh, Wednesday, Thursday nights, a special week, and um, we have a special time in front of us now. So let's get at it. I've entitled our message for today, We Want to Be Philippians. We Want to Be Philippians. And that is... uh, that is, that is uh, pretty obvious what I mean by that, I hope. But what does it mean to be a Philippian? What, what is this craziness that Pastor Dave is suggesting? We aren't Philippians. We're Prestonians. We're not, Phili- we're not from Philippi. We don't speak Greek. Uh, we uh, sadly don't live uh, on the Mediterranean anywhere near it. We're not in Greece. And um, while we might use a lot of olive oil in our cooking, at times we certainly don't live there. And uh, so what does this mean? We want to, there we go. We want to be Philippians. Well, you have to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and all of his letters. And all this time we've spent a couple, three years working through Acts and Paul's letters when they would occur in the sequence of Paul's story in Acts. We're here toward the end in the prison epistles where Paul is in prison in Rome beyond what we read in the book of Acts. Uh, You know, the story that Luke tells us in Acts stops before he would have written the book of Philippians. But at this point, we have letters from to various churches, to various groups uh, of believers, and they have different characteristics. And so being a Philippian is in contrast to, for example, being a Galatian or being a Corinthian. Um, we don't want to be the recipients of the punitive corrections of the Apostle Paul, where people have denied the gospel in Galatia uh, by uh, by their they denied the gospel by their um, uh, doctrine, and they they are now embracing a gospel of Christ plus works. Or in Corinth, where they're denying the gospel by their practices, where they say, yes, we believe in Christ, and therefore we we are saved, but we also go play. Uh, in the pagan temples of ill repute and prostitution. And we're guilty of all kinds of grievous moral uh, decay and decline. And we're playing uh, who is the pastor that we like to listen to. We're dividing over pastors instead of uniting in the spirit. And we're emphasizing sign gifts over prophecy and the, the delivery of the word of God and, and all the bad choices that are made in, uh, in Corinth. We don't want to be Corinthians. We don't want to divide over who's the pastor. We don't want to divide over, uh, I've got a flashier spiritual gift than you. We don't want to play these baby, uh, these baby games. We don't want to be Corinthians. We don't want to be Galatians and deny the gospel by adding works of any kind, including any commands of the Mosaic law <clears throat> that are required for you to receive the righteousness of God by imputation, by faith alone. We don't want to come up with a different gospel. We want to be Philippians. We want to be Thessalonians. We want to be the recipients of God's, uh, of the Lord Jesus' uh, proclamation, well done, when it's time for him to make his assessment. We want 
to be Philippians. So this is what I'm referring to. And so um, when uh, we go in Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're headed to verse 10, where the Apostle Paul is going to um, tell us, tell the Philippians, thank you for the gift. This is the thank you note portion of his letter. We just finished all the commands in 4, 4 through 9, and now we're, right, we're closing down the epistle um, with uh, verses 10 through 19, where Paul is talking to them about the gift that, they, that he's just received. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. This is the New American Standard. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. This is Paul saying, um, you were giving to me before. And he's, he, he, we have uh, many references to their gifts of Paul that supported his ministry. This is the, 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 the gift from Macedonia that pull, put Paul to work when he, when he was in Thessalonica. When he was in Corinth, he says, I robbed other churches to serve you, Corinthians. It's the Philippians that are, have supported Paul. So they've revived. They've, they've given to him in the past, and now they've sent another gift in the, in the hand of their pastor or one of their pastors, Epaphroditus. As we've already read in chapter four, he almost, or chapter 3, he almost died uh, and was ill, and God had mercy on him. Um, when he was visiting Paul, then Paul sent him back to them with the letter that, that they're reading now this letter. So you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. And he's talking about their gift of money to support the gospel mission. This is the, the giving part. Now, Christians, as we approach the end of the year and our budget talks on January 10th, Pastor Dave did not plan to talk about this awesome section on being a Philippian in giving uh, because we're headed to the budget at all. And in fact, uh, I feel just like Paul feels as one supported by the gospel offerings that you're giving to God. I feel just like he does about you. And I, I, you are Philippians. So m don't misunderstand. This is not an end of the year. Y'all give message. Uh, God has done wonders through us in this last year. And we're very grateful to him. And uh, again, January 10th, we have a congregational meeting. Be there or be square where we, where we pass the budget. But... Not that I speak from one. I'm not talking about that I'm, that I'm you know, thank you for the gift because I was so, so, I was starving. I wasn't speaking from one or because I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So I'm not t telling you thank you. Notice he's going to, he's going to thank them. And as he thanks them, he's going to teach them about giving and the gospel ministry. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how, wait, I'm supposed to look this way, right? Well, I can't because that's. Okay. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And so learning the secret, that's mueo. It means to be um, to initiated into a mystery cult. Uh, the, the, the early um, church age had these Roman mystery religions, these mystery cults, kind of like the Masonic lodges, like, a, like trying to be an heir to this. Um, they had these, these secret clubs and you have to be initiated into the secret knowledge. Well, he's not talking about Gnosticism or some sort of secret knowledge like that, but he uses this idea that there is a way, there's a certain know-how, there's a certain way to handle abundance and want, plenty 
and and leanness. There's a way to handle it, as you know, he's about to say, one of our favorite verses in the Bible. In verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In the majority of manuscripts, it says, through him who strengthens me, Christ. So, but what I want to bring out here, this is, this is the, the critical text, uh, so they didn't, uh, the oldest manuscripts don't have Christ here, but it is talking about him. So, him who strengthens me is all one word. This thing, him who strengthens me, is a participle, and it's calling God the one who does. Now, this is also interesting. The word I can do all things is actually um, a word for strength or power, and I would translate I have power to do all things. And him who strengthens me, I would translate uh, in duo as the one who enables me. The one who enables me to do, not in duo, um, it's from dunamai. It is, it is the one who, who enables me uh, or empowers me. And so uh, this is a present participle. It means he goes on doing this. And, um, and the, 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 the interesting thing is that you have a whole manuscript tradition that doesn't name Christ here. It calls him by this participle, the one who empowers me. That's what he's called. It is Christ. But understand, regardless of which manuscript was the original that Paul wrote, Notice this thing that Jesus is being called, the one who empowers me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is echoing uh, the promise that Jesus gave us in, um, in uh, John chapter uh, 15 when he gave the vine and the branches discussion and said, you can, do, you, know, you, you can bear much fruit if you abide in me, but without me you can do nothing. This is the same idea as fellowship with God and communion with Christ, which is what we're designed for in our new creation. This has effects and it has strength. And this is the secret. The secret for life in every case is an occupation with the Lord Jesus Christ, his provision, his enablement, his giving, his empowerment. If we abide in him, that's where we get our strength. So we keep looking unto him. We look away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12, so that we can endure, run the race that was set before us with endurance, just like Jesus did. And as he looked at the joy that was set before him, so we look at what God has promised us, not looking down at our suffering. And that's how he endured the cross. That's how you'll run with endurance what you have been called to do. So it's always about the Lord Jesus Christ with Paul. And that's what he's saying here is that the secret is Christ, is I have all things in him eternally, and if now I'm called to suffer want, I put it on him and I trust him that he has a reason and that there is, there is provision for me despite uh, my belt loops, keep, my belt keeps, uh, keeps cinching up a little more. Boy, do I need that. <laughs> um, and, so, and so Paul is able to say this is the secret. Beloved, you may be in want of friends. You may be in want of uh, social uh, connection. You may be in want of financial resources. You may, you may have a, an, abase, an abasing time, a, a place where you don't have enough uh, satisfaction in your work. This doesn't have to be money. The secret to having a great abundance of something you want and, and, and suffering a lack of it is Jesus makes you able. Staying connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, staying saturated with his word, staying on mission and therefore being about what he commanded you because you're empowered by his spirit to do what he commanded you in love as your motivation for him. This is the secret. It's, it's the strength that the Lord provides. And sometimes we read in the scriptures, 
God needs to show you his strength with your total uh, inability. You have exhausted all your resources and you need only the strength that he provides. That's in First Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12. That's, it's a really challenging passage. Paul is in agony. And God has allowed even a, a satanic demon, a demon that is oppressing him. God permits, he doesn't sin, permits this thorn in the flesh, it's called. The word in Greek is a kentron, a thorn in the flesh. Whatever this affliction was, it hurt him. And Paul repeatedly, three times, prayed, God, take this away. And Jesus said to him, no. He said, my power is brought, brought forth. Let me paraphrase. My power is brought, brought to its full expression when you're incapable, when you're weak. And so this is the same kind of thing. Jesus is the secret. And sometimes when you're, when you're like, I, I, can't, I got no answers, I got no resources, this may be a Red Sea moment for you, just like the Apostle Paul had. Paul, Moses and the children of Israel were backed by God's direction against the Red Sea with the Egyptian army coming to destroy them or re-enslave them. And what did they do? Well, they, they had nowhere to go. And God was showing them they were completely helpless and his salvation is the only salvation that you can have. And so stand fast and watch the deliverance of the Lord. And then Moses has this interesting thing. He says, you know, don't be afraid, tells the people. And then God calls to Moses, why are you calling out to me? Take your hand, take your staff and, and hold, spread it over the water. And, and, and the point is, when God has you in a situation, and he does, whatever your situation, he has you know, in a possible situation, He's the one that's going to only, only he is the one that is going to solve it. Sometimes he brings you to this point. Sometimes he lets you try every possible way you can imagine to get yourself out of that uncomfortable situation. When you're, when you're uh, uncomfortable, you move. You move and you try to get into a more comfortable position. And sometimes the pain is such that you can't move to get away from it. And you cry out, God, take it away. And he's like, nope, I have you exactly in the situation I want you in, not to torture you not to show you how mean I can be, but to bring forth the proven character that is the product of momentary light affliction. God is working in us every day, and that's uh, our prayer as we go forward for one another. All right, so I can do all things through him who strengthens me is my only answer to abundance or to lack. When you have a lot, a lot of times you fail. When you have, uh, 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 you fail by forgetting God as the source, you just you go play. And when you suffer need, then we get all, we get pray, we get into prayer. God help me through this thing. And, but either case, the, the, the crushing worry and fear of, of loss of bad outcomes that comes when we're, um, when we're suffering need or the neglect that comes about because we're rich and we're comfortable. And so we forget the Lord. Both of those are problems and horrible pitfalls that will shipwreck your faith. And the, the answer to both is disregard the details of life enough so that you can focus on Jesus Christ who strengthens you. All right, so verse 14 says, nevertheless, so he continues the discussion. He's equipped them with the secret. So I'm not talking to you in this gratitude section about, you know, I had need and so you met my need as much as um, what I'm, what I'm going to say now. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. What's Paul's affliction? We know the thorn in the flesh. We got, there's something with his eyes where he's gotten amanuensis and he is uh, imprisoned by the Romans and it's not a comfortable situation. He is afflicted. 
And he's already talked about the affliction in chapter one, where people are preaching Christ, some that hate him and want to bring more affliction to him. So they're stirring people up with this message of Christ. Nevertheless, Paul says, uh, at least Christ is being preached. So you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, O Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. No church. So this is it. After I left Macedonia, that takes us back. That takes us back to Paul, you know, encountering the Philippians after being with the Thessalonians. I'm uh, sorry, Philippians first in Acts 16, and then the Thessalonians in Acts 17. And so after he left that uh, second missionary journey experience, no one shared with him, him. All the churches that he had, you know, he's been in Galatia twice. Nobody is promoting the gospel despite all the teaching that he's given them on what we're doing. We're projecting the gospel. We're on mission, but they're not doing it. The Philippians got it, and they got it from the first visit with Paul. As soon as they're into the word, they're sharing in the ministry of the gospel from their work, their labor, and their pay is going to project Christ's word throughout the Roman world. We are now heirs of the Philippian benevolence, the Philippian giving to God, the Philippian worship and giving has given us our spiritual lives because Paul was able to go into full-time work. He was able to write the book of Romans, which was a lot, which was a huge effort. He was able to do the things that have now fed us in terms of the scriptures. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. This is, a, real quick, beloved, um, let me go, let me pull the text, um, the, the, the map up real quick. I have it. I happen to have it handy. Well, I had it. There it is. There it's handy. Okay. Sorry about that. Professional, uh, <laughs> professional work going on here. <laughs> All right, so this is your map of the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he started in Antioch here. Can you see the, the red uh, thing? And, and so he goes back through um, where he had gone before, Lystra, Derby. This is his Cilicia, his home province in Tarsus, uh, the city there that he grew up in. And uh, so uh, he's coming uh, through... Uh, Iconium and and the, the again Roman province of Galatia through here, and then he comes to um, uh, up through Asia. He's prevented by the Spirit from entering uh, the churches of Asia Minor um, uh, or or the cities of Asia Minor, and then goes up. And then he finds himself. Remember in Troas, he he has this vision of uh, y'all come. We need you to come to us. And then uh, so they they sail. And they stop in Samothrace and keep going past uh, Neapolis and they land in Philippi. And that's Acts chapter 16 of the fame of Acts, uh, you know, 1631. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And we would love to tell the whole story of, of Paul and Lydia and the first convert in Europe uh, here in this continent as he has made it over. But we're not going to talk about that. And, um, and so he went from Philippi in a short, uh, a brief time of ministry and after the um, the the synagogue kicked, you know, brought some people that had been dogging him already. Uh, after the, the Jews rejected him and, and made it pretty pretty hot in Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, and there he was there. The text mentions three weeks. It doesn't mean it's the whole time, but it was a short time. He's in Thessalonica, and we've studied that in, in detail. The first, uh, the second epistle we have 
from Paul chronologically is First Thessalonians. So this is the second missionary journey. And so he, he left Philippi and came to Thessalonica and they've shared with him. These people right after he has is, he is, he is shared Christ with them, they're already coming to um, they're already coming to give uh, to support the ministry of the gospel here. That's the, that's the awesome power of the word of God in the lives of new believers. They're brand new Christians. And he says more than once in the three or however long, six weeks or whatever short time he was in Thessaloniki, they have, they have sent more than once uh, missionary support to him. And um, this is just one little note. There's a couple other places in the text that talk about this, that Paul was a full-time gospel preacher and not a tent maker when he could be, and he, he was so because of the Philippian benevolence, the Philippian giving. And, and that is not my point when I say I want you to be Philippians. We want to be Philippians. My point is that we want to be on mission. We want to be in the work God has for us to do. Now, let me talk about this for just one. Let me have a... Technical. There we go. As I look to Paul's life, and we're toward the end of the Christian life of Paul's study, I don't know if I'll ever do this again this way where we surveyed so much, but I wanted to get that whole data set and I wanted to kind of constantly be refreshing it because I wanted to see what Christian mission work was according to the text and and really see what we're doing because Jesus commanded the Great Commission and Paul is showing you, exemplifying what it is because this is the Christian life of Paul. He's a Christian. He's doing what Jesus commanded. And so he's a disciple. He makes disciples and they become disciple makers. And they're all disciples back of Jesus. We're disciples of Christ, not of Paul or of David or of anyone but Jesus. Now, gathering all this together, I have been able to conclude based on the Great Commission and Paul's writings that we are called as Christians either to be goers or senders because we are here for the work. The work is the mission of the gospel and it's most clearly stated in the Great Commission. You're empowered to do the work according to the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit in Acts 24, Luke 24 and Acts 1 and this is why you have the Holy Spirit because you have a witness to carry forth. You have work to do. We are either doing the work by telling, or by being Paul, or we're doing the work by sending, by sending Paul. Pick one. Be both. Be a little bit Paul and a lot giving. Be a little bit giving and a lot Paul, but be on mission. This is the two kind of hats that you can see we are to wear. Paul is a giver and Paul is a preacher. And you don't need to go be a pastor. If you're not a pastor, you can't be. It's a spiritual gift. But we are supposed to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember what the writer of Hebrews, certainly a Pauline associate, says to the, the, the dull of hearing Hebrew Christians in Hebrews 5. He says, you should all be teachers by now. But I can't give you meat because you need milk. You need milk instead of solid food, instead of meat. I'd like to serve you a steak, but instead we're going to have milk. This is, this is what I mean. You can share Christ. You can come alongside someone. You can be part of this communication effort. But either you're sending or you're going. And I think the more we grow, the more we really want to find ourselves doing both. So this is the, this is the meat, really, of the, the message about being a Philippian. Anyway, I just wanted you to see how close he was. New Christians in Philippi give more than once to Paul. And he's in, in Thessaloniki. 
Thessalonica it says on the map here only only a short time, but more than once they supported the the gospel mission for the apostle Paul there. So, um, now we got to change the camera a little bit. There we go. So uh, when we go now to to the passage that we're reading. Paul says, I've received everything in full. Wait, I think I skipped something. You know, Philippians, that you were the first at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia. No church shared with me except you alone. Okay. Uh, the point I wanted to bring out on this also is that they're new. Sometimes I think we, 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 we think we're going to get to work in the work as soon as we grow up a little bit. There's wisdom in that. To a point, understand. You don't want to go, um, you know. You don't want to go fight the grizzly bear with a knife when you're just getting started learning uh, how to fight with a knife. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to go um, uh, do adult professional work that you're not prepared to do. It's true, but spiritual immaturity is no excuse for not participating in the mission. God is not going to, uh, at some point, you're going to become spiritually grown enough to finally kind of, oh, I'm going to give. Oh, I'm going to preach. Oh, I'm going to share. Oh, I'm going to, you know, pray. That's not how it works. In fact, if you're waiting for God to force you to do it, then you are contradicting in your thoughts the relationship that God wants with you. He's told you what he wants. He's provided it and preserved it in the text. He's mediated it to you through the Holy Spirit. And now you, beloved, have to make a choice. Wouldn't it be nice if he would just choose for us and force us to do all the things that he wants us to do? No, because then we wouldn't be relating to him in a personal relationship. It's a choice to say I do when you get married. It's a choice to say not as I will, let your will be done to God. And that's what he wants from us. And so he says... At the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no one shared with giving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. What in the world is Paul talking about? Well, remember, we're studying the Christian life of Paul. Paul's a Christian. He's coming to you with the message of Jesus Christ. We don't worship Paul. We worship Jesus. We don't think this is the word of Paul. This is the word of God. And God, the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the apostle, the one sent by Jesus in the power of the spirit of Christ for us to grow in the knowledge, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I say that because I wanted to say this. When he says there's profit and an account, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about to the, the, the assembled disciples in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He says, you've already received your reward when you practice your righteousness before men so that they'll be impressed by you. You've already received your reward. Matthew 6, the whole theme running through that whole thing is reward and the eternal account. And store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Paul is taught by Jesus that there is eternal reward for believing service, for service of believers that is in question. 
And so he says, I'm looking for the profit that you gain eternally by your mission participation, by your partnership in the gospel. I want to be a partner with Paul. I want to be somebody. Wouldn't that be cool to be a Philippian back then and for, for Paul to say, you are my partners right alongside me in this mission throughout the Roman world, throughout the Mediterranean world. You are my co-laborers in the gospel. Wouldn't that be an incredible privilege to say that? I've mentioned George Smith Patton Jr. and his dash across France into Germany uh, last service. My grandfather could say, like many grandfathers uh, of people my age, he served with that army. He was privileged to say that he was one of the of the tracks vehicles that Patton was commanding uh, in the massive army that he commanded. He was just one lowly E5 buck sergeant in charge of one little uh, fully tracked tank destroyer vehicle called an M10 that had didn't even have a roof, but had a huge gun on it. He could say, we were there and we did that. We were part of the Battle of the Bulge. We liberated the 101st Airborne Division in its in its trap and its uh, when it was surrounded. And we came and we came and delivered those guys in the in Bastogne. He could say all that, and that would be great. And I'm proud of him. I'm so thankful to be able to say that about my grandfather. Uh, but more importantly, my grandfather can say, as a giver who is part of the gospel mission, I'm a partner with Paul. I'm on the work that God has me doing. I am fellowshipping with those who've gone before and those alongside us who are walking in the traces. They're, 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 they're yoked together in the, in, the, in the mission, in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater privilege, there's no greater um, honor that we can have than to say participation in the gospel ministry, partakers with me in the gospel. That's, why, that's what I mean you want to be a Philippian. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. One thing I want to point out is that no church shared with me means that only only the Philippians, they're the only ones like them. They didn't look to the left or right and see what other people were doing. They said, Paul taught us he needs to keep doing this everywhere he goes. We have Christ because Paul came. We're going to promote that. We're going to make that continue. They didn't think like the world around them. They thought like Paul taught them like the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit was equipping them to think. In verse 18, but I have received everything in full, meaning the gift that you sent that puts me back into work, back, back capable of paying the bills. I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied. This is David Rosen talking to Preston City Bible Church. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, the one who carried the message, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Look at this awesome statement he says. Paul says, I received it, but it was an offering to God. That's how we, this is where we got the idea in written, you know, the doctrine, the theology. It's very clearly spelled out here, some, some in 2 Corinthians 9, that this is our ministry of sacrificial giving, our ministry of offering to God. When I say sacrificial giving, I'm not telling you that you got to figure out how to make it hurt. I mean, the Bible talks about it as a sacrifice, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice which is well-pleasing to God. You're giving to God, but see, the Levites in the Old Testament system would benefit. They would eat, eat part of the portion that was theirs of the offering. The offering was to God, but God had given some to the Levites. 
And that's the way we support the gospel ministry. And so like Paul, he can say, I'm amply supplied by your sacrificial offering that you gave to God and worship to him. That's the same thing that all Christian pastors should be able to say when we are being Philippians. Preston City Bible Church, you are Philippians, and in especially this respect. And I, um, I, I say as much whenever I have occasion to boast in the Lord on your account. All right. My God, here's the promise. I got everything you gave me, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes I want to just preach verse 19 all by itself. I want to just say, my God will supply all your needs. I want to take somebody that's worried about financial hardship and just say, you know, you just need to trust in the Lord to provide and just take them to Philippians 4.19 and say, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But you know, that memory verse that I memorized as a little kid, which is absolutely true in its context, does occur in a context. The reason Paul says verse 19 is because of what he says in verse 18. You can't escape it. You cannot escape the context. I have received what you sent me. And it's a well-pleasing sacrifice to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, God said, test me to the Israelites about their offerings to God, about the tithes that he required of Israel, the taxation system that covered the Levites and took care of the poor and the widows. He said, test me in Malachi. Test me. Test me on this you give to me and I will take care of you. I don't quote that for you and me today because we are not covenantally connected through the covenant of Mount Sinai to God as a nation. That was the national order of the old covenant, as the writer of Hebrews says, for Israel. I don't do that with you. I don't talk about tithing because that was a, a, an income tax in a theocracy. And um, you know what? We talk about government a lot. If we had a theocracy like Israel had, we would screw it up. We would become idolaters like we are today without the theocracy. There is no solution to the government problem because of the human tendency to sin until Jesus comes without sin and then he crushes the nations like earthenware. Read about it in Psalm 2 and Daniel 2. That's really the only hope for, for legitimate governance. But, but tithing was a system of taxation within a governmental structure called theocracy. What we do in Christian giving is nowhere in the New Testament called tithing or tenthing or something. It, that, that's what tithe means, 10%. I, I know some of you believe your offering is a tithe, but it's just tradition and culture has taught you that. Biblically, the tithe, the, the percentage offering was an Israelite stipulation in, in the, in the um, Old Covenant. And you can, you, you can check out John Miles' uh, discussion on this um, uh, about a month ago when he, was, uh, when he was filling in on a Wednesday night. Ph phenomenal discussion about the passages in the, in the Mosaic Law that talk about this. But, but basically, let me summarize. That was a system of giving and sacrifice and offering to God. And we too are called to give and offer and sacrifice to God. He says it right here. But it's not the same system. There's no prescription for how much you should give. Ten families giving a tenth would be able to support one pastor with an average income. Think about that. Ten families giving a tenth would be able to support one pastor with an average income. Twenty families giving a tenth could support two pastors with an average income. I'm just saying that 
well, we've got to pay the bills and the lights and, and take care of the poor. And all. I'm just saying, like, um, I've heard churches say, well, we can't support a pastor because we don't have enough enough money. They got 150 people in their church. And uh, no, you, you don't have a, a Philippian group that gives. You don't understand giving. You're either going to choose to be a goer or a sender, probably need to be both. And as you grow spiritually, my prayer is that you'll come to this conclusion that we have a mission. And this is one critical way we contribute to the mission. We do what Paul is saying here. My God will supply all your needs as a promise in consequence to their acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So if you've got this verse out hanging by itself, just out there flapping by itself in verse 19, that my God will supply all your needs, bring it back home to what Paul's talking about and then claim it as you give to God for the work of the gospel and for no other that, that's what we're doing. It's the work of the gospel. It's, it really is. And that includes everything we do in our giving. Our benevolence to take care of widows and orphans is a witness to them and to, uh, to the world that we are, we, are, we are from the God of grace and care for the oppressed. And so that's a major theme in Scripture, major theme of giving. <clears throat> Paul, everywhere he goes, takes up a collection for the poor saints, the widows and orphans and those in despair in Jerusalem that are under persecution. And it's a big part of his, of his ministry is uh, this collection for, the, for the, the saints in Jerusalem, the believers, the Christians that are under oppression back in Jerusalem. And, uh, and he brings that offering to them. So I'm just saying it's always the mission. You can always see whatever the reason for giving for us, it goes back to projecting the gospel. Now, <clears throat> last thing I want to say on Christian giving before we summarize being Philippians. Oh, we got plenty of time. I mean, I mean, we're not going to run out of internet ever. So I'm just kidding. We're we're going to uh, close it down here in a minute. But the last thing I want to say that about the Christian giving thing is, um, let's talk about the poor and the oppressed. Let's talk about if that was what we were here for. If God was just making a charitable organization that fed the fed the homeless, and that was our mission to feed the homeless. If He said do that, that's the job. Well. Um, Obviously, the Bible talks about the poor a lot. You can read a lot about it in James, a lot about it in the Old Testament, in Paul's writings. It's a theme. It is a, in, in the Gospels, it's a big deal. It's a theme. And it's, it's, read James, the poor, God has called the poor to inherit the kingdom. You know? So, but as far as the question of addressing poverty and oppression, Christians, the mission that Jesus gave us of making disciples attacks the real eternal spiritual poverty and the real eternal spiritual oppression of Satan and his deception and his fallen angels. You being on mission and projecting the gospel with our resources as our priority, as our focus is strategic for real oppression and poverty. I mean, eternal separation from God. Satan has deceived the nations. He wants nothing more than for as many humans to join him in the lake of fire as possible. And by projecting the gospel as the Philippians, we are directly opposing that oppression. That oppression which takes many forms of deception, which suggests all in many different ways that people are victims of this or that system or, or whatever's going on in our country in the, in the woke crowd today and the Antifa and all that. It's all part of the same deception to get your eyes off the ball of eternal life. Just like Karl Marx said, he's reported to say that, that religion is the opiate of the masses. 
they, they'll do whatever. They'll, they'll keep working the factories because, and be, and be tenant farmers because they, uh, they know they have an eternal inheritance. But if you take that away from them, then they'll be dissatisfied and get them to rise up. See, the real oppression is Satan lying to you and holding back the truth of God's love and care. And that's what we're actually presenting as we share Christ with people. And we'll do it over a meal. We'll do it taking care of their kids for Christmas presents. We'll do it however God opens doors with whatever resources are necessary for us to share Christ. But never forget the real oppression and the real poverty is spiritual. And these people need Christ more than anything. If it's feed them a sandwich or share Christ, you share Christ. I recommend doing both and using one to do the other. But if it's one or the other, it's Jesus. It's the bread of life. It's the real need that the people have. And so the, the promise that Paul closes with is a promise that I want to apply to you. So I'm asking you in conclusion to be Philippians. First of all, seven things about being a Philippian. The Philippians did not think like the pagan culture around them. Remember that? They're the only ones that gave and they promoted the ministry of the gospel from their resources. They did not join the fervor and the pagan rejection of Christ and, and of Paul. They fully embraced Paul despite what the culture said. And they said, we have Christ no matter what else happens. And we're going to promote Christ and his interests sacrificially. So they didn't think like the pagan culture around them. Second, they focused on Jesus' mission early on in their Christian walk as new believers they're giving. They weren't waiting till they were old believers. Now remember, well, I don't have very much to give. Don't forget the widow's might. Don't forget that if you have what you have, when you give from what you have, God makes it sufficient. He tells the disciples in Matthew 14, what do you have? Give them something to eat. We don't have anything. What do you have? A couple tortillas and some sardines. Two fish and two, two loaves and uh, uh, five loaves and two fish. We, we, we have a kid's lunch. And Jesus took what was meager and totally insufficient and made it sufficient. So uh, the widow's mite story, Jesus makes the disciples watch this lady give everything she had. She gave more than everyone, even though she gave a very small amount financially because she gave everything she had. Not telling you to give everything you had. I'm saying the rationale is not, well, my little contribution won't make a difference. The point is that you're giving to God from what he's given you. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Third, the Philippian support of Paul's mission work made them his partners and fellow partakers. This work that, that Paul was sent to do, that they were personally, collectively responsible for promoting. Remember, the first convert in Europe is Lydia, a, a woman, a, a business owner, seller of purple fabric, a, a merchant. And she starts the, the, church, the Philippian church begins in her home, not dogmatically requiring that we worship in a home. We do need to worship in our homes, but I mean, you don't have to assemble in a physical home. It's just how this started. They left the synagogue and they went to, to Lydia's house. And this, this is the core, the origin of the Philippian church. So you have a business as the basis, the beginning of this church is this lady in business. And so it's not surprising that they're, financially supporting. See, we got a way to help this go on. We've got resources. So God calls them his, God through Paul calls them his partakers, his fellow partakers or partners in the gospel because of their support. Fourth, when you have a command from Paul and Philippians believers, we just saw it last hour, you want to keep that command. What's a command in Philippians, Pastor Dave? Like, what do you mean we want to keep God's commands in Philippians? 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Worry for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. These are commands. You want to do that. You don't want to be a worry warrior. You don't want to have stomach acid in your esophagus all the time because you're worried. Some of you have that problem that's not from worry. But I'm just saying, you don't want to destroy your health and your life and your, be neurotic and your families because of worry. You want to be resting in God's grace and peace. This is the commands of Philippians, right? And so you want to obey these commands. Let's be a Philippian and rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Fifth, we need to proclaim their promises. That promise in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We want to claim that promise. I want to say God is going to supply all my needs. But remember the resource rationale. Father, you've given me, give me glory because every time you do, I use it to glorify you. It's the reciprocation of resources. When God gives you something, recognize that it's his gift to you to give him something with. And sacrifice it that way. Honor God with it. And watch the reciprocation. He's playing reciprocate with you. It's almost, don't, don't blasphemous. It's not blasphemous. It's just a neat thought. When you get a little kid that's just able to sit up and roll a ball, and you know, you've got, you're sitting on the, on the floor with him and he's got his little legs out and he, and little fat chubby legs in, in a diaper, you know what I mean? And he's, 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 you wipe his nose and he starts, he rolls the ball and, and you get that ball and you sit across from him, you roll the ball to him and now he has something to roll to you and you roll it back to him. And that is one of the most joyful things that you can do in life is play with a little toddler and teach them to play and roll the ball for the first time. And it gets better as they get older as you learn to play pitch with them and all that and throw the football. And, and it's great to have something to give to them so that they're able to give something to you. So it is kind of like playing pitch with dad, which is an awesome thought when you think about your God, Abba Father who loves you. Sixth, we want to receive what Paul prays for the Philippians. When Paul prays that, they're, that they will be uh, uh, blessed and enlightened and matured and strengthened in love and all the things that Paul prays for the Philippians, we rightly appropriate these prayers for ourselves. Well, let's be Philippians so that these prayers and promises and commands actually apply to us. It's a choice. And you're either going to be a Philippian or you're going to be Paul, or you'll be both, but you need to be on mission. And lastly, we want to, we do right now share the privilege of the Philippians. We share their privileges in that we have the revelation of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have his word through his apostles and prophets, and we have a spiritual life that is empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, who uses that word to fill us and cause that word to richly dwell within us, to characterize us with it. We share the privileges of the Philippians. So it only makes sense that we would take that birthright, that mission call in our lives and join in them and follow in their example. In 2021 and forevermore, believers, Preston City Bible Church, I want you, I want to think of ourselves as Philippians, as people that are on mission, that are sending and projecting the gospel and have it as a priority. And these things are all true for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this awesome mission opportunity. We thank you for the privilege of fellowshipping with you in your word. And we thank you for the challenge of the Philippian believers who are such wonderful sacrificial givers who are so committed to your gospel message that they were on mission from the very beginning of their Christian walk. Father, if there's anyone here that's a new Christian and trying to sort out these things, please make clear in their hearts the issue of your grace, that there is no buying you off, there is no bribing you, that 
This is worship out of love, out of gratitude to you. Father, let no one be confused at Preston City Bible Church about the mission and the, the ministry of giving, that this work that we do in, uh, in working hard with our hands so that we have something to share with those in need and, and projecting the gospel from our, our offerings, our sacrifices as a fra- fragrant aroma, let, let, let us never misunderstand your grace and the privilege that this giving is so that it becomes odious and burdensome or that we give from compulsion, as Paul said. Father, let us be cheerful and rejoicing as we take on the mantle and the privilege, the honor of being Philippians and being partakers. Father, we pray for our nation always. And every time we open our, our mouths to praise you and pray, we ask for our nation, for the gospel to go forward, for you to bring this country back to from the brink of insanity and the 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 shuddering of our freedoms and the destruction of our national inheritance. Father, uh, we are citizens of heaven and our mission here is not primarily social, political, economic. Our mission is eternal and it's spiritual and it's the gospel. And so we pray for the gospel go forward among these people. Use the dark times to bring out the light and give us courage and strength to share who and what Jesus is by word, by deed, by our practice so that we can encourage others to practice as we do. And Father, for anyone that is in the hearing of my voice right now that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that these things are meaningless, this idea of the, the mission, of the spiritual life, of spiritual giving, of the strength that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ who keeps equipping us. Father, all these things that we've read and, and studied are basically meaningless if we don't have the spirit, if we don't have the life. So we pray for them that they would hear clearly the message of Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins, that he rose from the dead, that he gave himself for them that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus will be saved, and that um, that for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Father, help us uh, communicate these truths to our families and our loved ones, and indeed we pray for the list, all those in our lives, each one of us that you have in our lives that don't know Christ. We pray for them. Bring the gospel to them. Use us and strengthen us to share it, and don't let us mess it up with our um, limited perspective, our pettiness, our uh, our emotions, all the things that come in, in, in between us and relationships and sharing Christ with those that we know. But let us share him with freedom and love and grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And we all said, <laughs> amen. Hey, well, thanks for joining me. Thanks for letting me be with you today this way. And uh, I'll see you next Sunday. Um, it'll be more three-dimensional. And I uh, really look forward to it. Y'all, uh, let's get together uh, to celebrate um, the Lord Jesus Christ for New Year's and uh, and uh, and keep me in your prayers as I'm in your, as you're in mine. Um, Lord bless you, and uh, we'll see you Wednesday.